Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... If the grace of God was only for the right people, then I'm not in, because I'm not the right people. Better than I used to be, I guess, by God's standard or maybe by what people see. And none of us are there, and so it's not for the right people. The plan of God includes kings, and the plan of God includes prostitutes. The plan of God includes men, and the plan of God includes women. The plan of God includes the rich, and the plan of God includes the poor. Is your family dysfunctional? Believe it or not, you're actually like many families in the Bible. Pastor Jim shares today how God planned the dysfunction in Jesus' family tree as a way to show His grace. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of Matthew chapter 1 with part 2 of his message, God's Plan for Christmas. Verse 2, he takes us into Jesus' family history. And I know a lot of you think your family is dysfunctional. Not much compared to Jesus' family line. I mean, it is so dysfunctional that we have to be careful not to lose God's plan in the genealogy as we look at all of these names. Now, if you're new to the Bible, the Bible is very shocking in what you thought the people in the Bible were like. And then you go read about them and you're like, oh my goodness. It's like, does God know this is in here? I remember the first time I read through the Bible, I was like, maybe I brought the wrong version or something like that. (laughs) You know, there must be a more holy version where the people look better. And this is no way to start a religion. I mean, if you're going to start a religion, you'll pick mighty heroes, not a bunch of some of the people that we read about in the Bible. One thing that Matthew wants us to know by giving us his family history for the last 2,000 or or so years is, is he wants us to know that Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, was a real person. Around this time when Matthew's writing, there's a lot of people who start to go around and they start to say, well, it's the spirit of Jesus. And Jesus wasn't a real person. And he was sort of, you know, just kind of like floating around and things like that. And the Bible wants us to know that this man, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, the God-man, is in fact a real person. And Matthew also traces the people that prove he's real, but also that prove that he is of royal descent by virtue of who his adoptive father is. So let's jump in. Verse 2, Abraham. Now, what I read previously about Abraham, you think that, oh boy, this guy, he's something else. I mean, the nations are going to be blessed by him. This guy must be some hero. You know, and in some ways he is. He's a man of faith, and he's got a lot of good to him, but a lot of things about him were not so good. He was a liar. You know, he had a good-looking wife, and you think, well, good for him. But every time they went somewhere, he said, oh, no, that's my sister. Because you know what he was afraid? Well, in the ancient world, adultery wasn't so cool. So if you want another guy's wife, you just killed him. (laughs) So like, okay, adultery's bad, but murder, I don't know. So he was afraid that he would get murdered and they would take his pretty wife. So he would just say, well, you know, let's just say you're my sister. And even the unbelieving people said, you can't do that. That's wrong. And him and his wife tried to have a baby for a long time, which is a very heartbreaking process for sure. And so what did he do? He slept with, the Bible says, with his wife's handmaiden. Let me tell you, let's put it in a politically correct way. 
he slept with the domestic help, like someone who worked in their household. And that's how he had his first child. So the history starts off kind of shaky. Would you agree? Abraham begot Isaac. What does it mean, begot? Well, begot means the father of or the ancestor of. So Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah. We talked about him. We'll talk about him in a second. And his brothers. Now, I don't care how dysfunctional your family is. If you think your family is more dysfunctional than Jacob's, then you need to study the Bible more carefully. I mean, this is like the most dysfunctional family you've ever seen in your life. You, you, don't, you say, well, can you prove it? Well, we'll talk about it. Verse 3, Judah begot Perez and Zerah. Now, they had twins. Judah had twins. And you think, well, that's real nice. By Tamar. You might want to just circle Tamar in your Bible. And we're going to talk about her in a few minutes. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, woman number two. You might want to circle Rahab's name. Some of the young girls are like, girl power, I like this. Yeah, this is cool, man. It really is. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. You might want to circle her name, Ruth. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king, the great king the promises were made to, the gold standard of all kings who had issues. We'll talk about a big one in a moment. Uh, David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. You might want to circle that, put a little arrow, and write Bathsheba. Bathsheba. She's not even mentioned. She's just called the wife of Uriah. Now, we read this and we think, oh, there's a bunch of names, mostly dudes, a few chicks, whatever. But to a first century religious leader, the hair on their neck would be standing up if they're reading Matthew's gospel. They're like, that guy is such a traitor. Bad enough, he was a tax collector. Now he's a follower of Jesus and he's a total traitor on his Jewish upbringing. And what they might have said about Matthew goes something like this. This Matthew guy, what a typical follower of Jesus, totally in our face about this Jesus of Nazareth. Now we get it. Matthew thinks that Jesus is the son of David. We read about that. Jesus is the son of Abraham. We read about that. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that there's ups and downs in the people of God's life. That was just the massive understatement of the century. And there was some disappointment among people who were supposed to be the men of God and, and the women of God. But they would think of this list and they would say, but Matthew is really pushing the envelope with the women on this list. Because Matthew, it seems, is trying to make a few different points that the religious leaders would 100% object to. Well, let's go through a few things. Women in their culture had essentially no rights. Do you know that some religious people, ladies, are you ready to get angry? First, we'll get angry at the religious people. Some of the religious men back in that day actually woke up and prayed to God, thankful that they were not non-Jews, Gentiles, and thankful that they were not born women. You don't like that, do you, ladies? Some of you are like, ugh. I hope you love me, because I had three times in my life I was glad I was not a woman when my children were born. <laughs> I remember thinking, like, I couldn't do that. 
I couldn't do that. It was like the Lord was like, that's why I had ladies doing this, right? <laughs> I just think that whole pregnancy thing, and I used to feel so bad for Pam at the end when she, her bladder would be flat as a pancake and getting up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night was like the parting of the Red Sea. She'd be like, oh! And then watching the baby be born, I was like, oh, I couldn't. I'm glad I'm not a woman. <laughs> so, so I did do that, but I've repented. <laughs> I have. But the point of what those guys were doing was when they didn't want to be a Gentile or a non-Jew or a woman, they thought less of those people. And generally, women were not included in genealogies. Now, if you did want to include a woman in the genealogy, he included the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why not include the matriarchs, Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah? Now, they got a lot of issues there, but at least that would seem better. But they know that there seems to be, Matthew has some agenda here, that there's some point that he is making. Now, here's the truth. You may not know this, but this is the truth, is Jesus had radical views on women. He was like considered way too pro-woman for his day. And he had radical views on their rights. He was very good in his treatment of women. But these four women, if you wanted to make a boatload of money back then, you would have just had a cable show and it would, have, it would be a reality show called Housewives of the Bible. <laughs> because these four you could have put in and you would have had a lot of people watch it. So let's look at a few of them. Tamar, the first one, she was a Canaanite. The hated, hated, hated enemies of the Jews. In fact, they were so bad that God sent Joshua in to rid the promised land of the Canaanites. But long before that, Tamar the Canaanite, you can read about this in Genesis 38. Her husband died. She wanted a child. The brothers were supposed to provide her with a child. That was sort of the laws that they had back then. Again, it's a long story. And her family wanted nothing to do with her. Her father-in-law, who was Judah, didn't seem to care about it. So what did she do? She posed as a prostitute and slept with her father-in-law, Judah. It's complicated. <laughs> it's messy. The kids are like, what? Dad, what? <laughs> Mom, what? Oh, good car ride home. Good car ride home. And uh, hey, listen, I did my time. You have to do yours. Funny thing, after all of this happens... Judah goes, she has been more righteous than I. Well, now the Messiah had to come through the bloodline of, or the family line of the legal line of Judah. And so let's think about Judah and to, for him to get to the point and say where this woman who posed as a prostitute is more righteous than I. You know, if you know the story of the previous chapter, Genesis 37, Jacob's dysfunctional family, the boys sold their brother Joseph into slavery. Guess whose idea it was? This is Judah's. So then Judah, after that happens, he, you know, things go on. He's got a family and stuff like that. And um, he's out looking for prostitutes. And his daughter-in-law disguises herself and she, he doesn't know that it's her. That's not too good to be out looking for chicks like that, is that? Some of you are like, is that a trick question? That is not a trick question. Then he finds out that his daughter-in-law, whose son had died, his son had died, is now pregnant out of wedlock. And he says, we have to burn that woman. And I don't mean like burn notice. I mean like we have to set her on fire. So when he says, she is more righteous than I, it doesn't hold a lot of water. Like the whole world is more righteous than you. And this is part of Jesus' dysfunctional family. She got pregnant. Who are the kids? Peraz and Zerah. 
And Perez is in this legal line. I mean, it's just kind of funny if you think about it. Imagine the holidays. And you got those pictures hanging up on the wall in your family. We got it. Every picture has a story behind it of our dysfunctional family. You know, the one in my house with the Irish people fighting over the picture and stuff like that. Now they're all mad at me because I have the picture in the United States. The Americans are like, over my dead body, he's giving that picture back. I just want to make copies and sell it. That's all I really care about. But we all have those things. And imagine the kids sitting there and they're going, oh, yes, that's Uncle Perez. And the kid goes, oh, really? Who's his daddy? Shh, shh, shh. Come on, who's his daddy? Isn't it time for dessert? We didn't even eat dinner yet, daddy. But no, 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 no. Don't hang up that picture when my kids come to the house. That's just not good. This is just what's the dysfunction of this family. Next is Rahab, another Canaanite, hated people. Don't worry, she didn't pretend to be a prostitute. She was a prostitute. (laughs) Some people even think that she owned the brothel. And she was the one that when Joshua sent spies into Jericho before they conquered Jericho, that she saved the spies, kept them from being killed, and she joined the people of God. She became a follower of the Lord. She became what we said about in 2 Corinthians 5.17, a new creation. Everything that was in the past was now in the past. God took her sins, cast them behind his back, choosing not to remember them and count them against her. And now she was one of God's people. You say, do you really think God could forget? Listen, you don't understand the things that I've done. I'm sure God has given up on me. You know, God likes those trophies of grace. Did you know that? Now, that's no excuse to you young people to go out and say, oh, I intend to be a trophy someday. No, that's, that's not what we do. But how much did God love Rahab? In the New Testament, she made Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith. She actually made it. Do you know how much grace that is? When a woman who would do these kinds of things would be totally forgiven by God and not only invited into the kingdom, but invited into the Cooperstown of heaven. (laughs) Hebrews 11.31 says this, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. What happened to the people who do not believe? They perish. When she received the spies with peace. James chapter 2 says that Rahab, her faith was seen by the way she lived. Her faith was seen, was made real, was authenticated by her works. Next up is Ruth. Now, Ruth was a good woman. Great, great little book. And she was a good woman, but she was a Moabitess. Now, I say, what's the big deal of being a Moabite? Well, way back in Genesis 19, it's a non-Jewish group, and way back in Genesis 19, the Moabites came about when Lot, who was a Jew, had a son by his daughter. Oh, yeah, somebody's went, oh, (laughs) yeah, that's messy, right? Now, I know what some of you do because God told me. No, he really didn't. But I know some of you watch soap operas. Stop, just read the Bible. It's the same stuff, except there's redemption. (laughs) Again, she was a good woman, but for Boaz to marry her would have been in some areas of the town scandalous. Boaz was a full-fledged Jew, and Ruth was a Moabitess. I mean, you can just imagine the conversation. I'm from Long Island, so a lot of Jewish people out there, and so a lot of them were, you know, neighbors and business associates and stuff like that, and the conversation would go like this, Boaz, 
There's plenty of other fish in the sea. Why do you gotta marry her? I can remember when I started my business and people were like, you have a business? Do you have a girl? <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not Jewish. I don't care. <laughs> but, but so it would have been scandalous. Now, this is a very important point that we need to make. The Bible is fine with people marrying out of, and you could even dispute as if there's even such a thing as race in the Bible. We all come from the same place. And so people of different nationalities, different skin colors, all those kind of things, marrying with one another, totally okay, totally okay. The Bible makes the distinction to be careful not to marry someone out of the faith. So if you're here and you're not married and you're thinking maybe that would be something you would like someday, you need to be looking for people who are from the faith, not from outside it. Now, if you're already married to someone and they're not of the faith, what what does 1 Corinthians 7 say? You are to stay married. That's what you are supposed to do. The next up is Bathsheba. Her name is not even mentioned. She's just called the wife of Uriah. But Uriah was a Hittite. Another non-Jew, great guy, Uriah, but, but she would be considered a Hittite probably by marriage. And what happened with her? Well, King David committed adultery with her. You're thinking, oh, King David, what an awesome guy. He committed adultery with her and then had her husband killed. A little mafia sounding, isn't it? Like, you know, it, it, it's not personal, it's business, it's not personal. This Uriah, let's whack him, <laughs> right? right? Just... <laughs> now, some say, well, it really wasn't her fault. What could she do? I mean, you know, she's just, she's just a woman. The king says, I want her. I'm going to take her. That's the way it goes. I mean, a logical question is just, just a little question here, Bathsheba. Why were you taking a bath on the roof where the king could walk out and see you? <laughs> so what's Matthew doing? What, what's his agenda? Well, there's a few. One of them is that he, he's showing us that the grace of God is not limited to the New Testament. He's showing us that the grace of God is not limited to the right people. I can only say this about me. If the grace of God was only for the right people, then I'm not in because I'm not the right people. Better than I used to be, I guess, by God's standard or maybe by what people see. And none of us are there. And so it's not for the right people. The plan of God includes kings. And the plan of God includes prostitutes. The plan of God includes men. And the plan of God includes women. The plan of God includes the rich. And the plan of God includes the poor. It includes the homeless. Really, Abraham was homeless for a while. He's like, just start going for a walk. Where are we going? I don't know. <laughs> I just walk. You know, imagine that. That takes faith on the wife, right? Where are we going, honey? I don't know. I know a lot of you are always like, Pastor Jim, thank you so much for coming up here and starting this church. Thank my beloved Pam. <laughs> Where are we going? I don't know. (laughs) What's going to happen? I don't know, (laughs) but we're going. And Solomon, well, he had more houses than you could ever imagine. The plan of God, the offer of salvation, the offer of forgiveness of sins is for everyone. Friends, do we understand that the Lord is moving in a sinful world? He's calling all people to come to the kingdom of God. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to know that you can come to Jesus Christ today. You can come to his kingdom. You can have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life today by simply confessing your sins to God, mostly the sin of unbelief, living with your back to God, 
and putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Now, verse seven, we come to Solomon. Solomon was wise. In fact, his wisdom is kind of intimidating. But on the other hand, we saw in the book of Ecclesiastes, he was Israel's most sexually addicted man. So he, had, he was rich. He had great wisdom. Just read the Proverbs. But he had a lot of problems. It says, Solomon begot Rehoboam. His son was evil. Because of him, the kingdom divided. Rehoboam begot Abijah, evil. Abijah begot Asa, good. Asa begot Jehoshaphat, good. Jehoshaphat begot Joram, evil. Joram begot Uzziah, good. And so notice the, e- the good, evil mix that's going on. Some of these kings in this part of history is where Isaiah has influence over. Uzziah begot Jotham, good. Jotham begot Ahaz, bad. Ahaz begot Hezekiah, good. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh is evil on steroids, But yet, in the end of his life, he turned to God and God forgave him as we came across in the Chronicles. Now, listen up, young people. That doesn't mean you go live your life and I'm going to be evil and I'm going to come to God at the end. Because here's the problem. Manasseh had already changed the trajectory of a nation. And sometimes the damage that's done in the bad, we will have to live with the rest of our lives. I call it sin under the water of the bridge of my life. And so we don't want to do it that way. But if you're here today and you're thinking it's too late for me, if it's not too late for Manasseh, tradition has it that he sawed the prophet Isaiah in half. If it's not too late for Manasseh, it's not too late for you. Manasseh begot Ammon, bad. Ammon begot Josiah, good. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers. They're just too ugly to mention. I mean, but really not told much about them in the Bible. And this is about the time they were carried away to Babylon. When they were like, you know what, God, we don't need you. And God said, okay, you don't need me. I'll back away. And here come the Babylonians. But what do we learn from this good, bad, good, bad, good, bad? That the grace of God doesn't run in our blood. It runs in our hearts. I wish that all of our children would automatically be going to heaven, but they all need to transact on some level with God by themselves. And friends, we fight that battle for our children on our knees. Yeah, when they're little, we read them Bible stories and we teach them how to do their prayers, but when they get older, that is a battle that is fought on our knees and it is a battle that is fought with love. And sometimes love doesn't look like love, right? And sometimes grace doesn't seem like grace. So what does it mean that these kings were good? Were they perfect? Oh, not at all. Their heart was good. But for the ones that the Bible says are evil, and these are not, I'm just taking what the Bible says about them, not what I say about them. What was wrong with the people who were evil, what's wrong with so many people in our world, is there something that they want to hold on to that is more important to them than God? A pet sin, a life something that they're doing or that they're engaged in. They want it so much, they'll twist the Bible to say this, they'll twist it to say that, but it's just something they want so much from earth that it's worth rejecting God for. Friends, nothing is worth rejecting God for. Verse 12 takes us to a group of people who are are largely unknown by us, by the Bible, but not by God. I know for a lot of you, you feel like you're unseen sometimes and nobody knows who you are. It's hard for me around here because everybody knows who I am. I like it when I go to places and nobody knows who I am. 
And I'm like, oh, I like rest in it. But I know it's easy to think that what you're doing for the kingdom of God, nobody notices. And believe it or not, I feel that way all the time. But God knows you. And God knows what you're doing for his kingdom. And God knows where you're trying. And God knows a lot about your life. He knows it all. You've been listening to Changed by Love, the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Our hope and prayer is that all of our listeners would grow into committed followers of Jesus Christ. And we're overjoyed to play whatever role we can in helping you mature in your faith. Would you like to know more about us? Maybe you'd like to pass this message on to a friend or family member. If so, go to our website at www.changedbyloveradio.com. Maybe you have a question or need some guidance. We don't want to replace your pastor, but we are here to help. It's so easy to contact us. All you have to do is call, click, or write. Our phone number is 973-659-3380. That's 973-659-3380. Our email address is info at changedbyloveradio.com. And our mailing address is changedbylove, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. You may be surprised to know how excited Pastor Jim and the Changed by Love radio team are to hear from you. In fact, it's common for Pastor Jim to pass on your encouragement to the congregation here in New Jersey, since we consider all our listeners part of our family. That's all the time we have for today. Our sincere hope and desire is that you will join us again next time on this radio station as we continue teaching the Word of the Lord. We here at Changed by Love pray God's best to each and every one of you today. Until next time...